Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Good to see everyone here. Also, hello to those who are watching and listening online. If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Last week, we saw in Jesus' appearance, resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene, that seeing is not always believing, at least not initially. And today we're going to read a story in which Jesus blesses those who believe without seeing. So after Jesus appeared to Mary, she rushed back to the other disciples to tell them the good news, saying, I have seen the Lord. And then later that day on Sunday night, the disciples are together in one place behind locked doors, and the risen Jesus appears to them to confirm everything they've heard from Mary. And now they too can rejoice and say, we have seen the Lord. Now let's pick up the story in chapter 20, verse 24. John tells us that now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Mm -mm. unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I can identify with Thomas. I also feel badly for him. Of all the days to skip church, I don't know why he wasn't meeting with the disciples on Sunday night. Maybe he got caught up in the Wizard of Oz. If you know, you know. I know not all of you know, but a few of you know. Or maybe... He didn't read the email with the details of the next meeting. He received the email. He just didn't open it and read it. And yes, I am talking about some of you. (laughs) I suppose if there is a guilt-trippy preacher point to derive from this story, it could be this. Whenever you skip church you risk missing out on Jesus because you never know how or when he's going to show up. For seven days, Thomas must have been isolated and miserable. 
all the other disciples could talk about was how they saw Jesus, what he looked like and what he said. And I wonder when he will appear again to us. What does all of this really mean? Even their unanswered questions were bathed in joy, and I'm sure they had plenty of questions. They did not understand the implications of the resurrection. There's no way they could that quickly, but they knew Jesus was alive because they had seen him. But imagine being Thomas, unable to rejoice with them because he wasn't in the room where it happened. And their testimony is not enough for him. He doesn't want to hear about the risen Jesus. He wants to see the risen Jesus. He's an empiricist. He requires some evidence. He will not believe unless he can see and touch Jesus for himself. And that doesn't mean he has weak faith. Doesn't mean he's less than than the other disciples. All he really wants is the same experience with the risen Jesus all the other disciples had. And isn't that what we all prefer too? Wouldn't we all prefer to see and touch and talk with the risen Jesus? So how can we ever fault Thomas for wanting the same thing the other disciples had and the same thing we all wish we had? Seven days later, the disciples are together again in one place behind locked doors. And this time, Thomas is with them. I bet he didn't let the disciples out of his sight for a week. No more skipping church for him. Where are you guys going? I'm there. Because if Jesus is going to show up again, he wants to be there. So verse 26, we read a week later, the disciples are in the house again, Thomas is with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put your hands into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus appears much as he had previously, but this time he singles out Thomas. And he invites him, perhaps playfully, to touch his scars and to put his hand in the side where the soldiers pierced it with a spear. Jesus knows Thomas's conditions for belief, even though this is the first time they've been together which means Jesus has somehow already been with Thomas, even though Thomas couldn't see him. And there's no indication in the story that Thomas then actually reached out and touched Jesus' scars or put his hand into his side, although I do love Caravaggio's rendering of this moment, the way Jesus is guiding Thomas's hand. It seems the sole purpose for this appearance from Jesus was to give Thomas the proof he needed to believe. 
And seeing the risen Jesus transforms Thomas from a doubting skeptic into a true believer who makes the most explicit confession of Jesus' divinity in the Gospel of John, saying in verse 28, Oh, my Lord and my God. After all the allusions in John's Gospel to Jesus' divinity, after all Jesus has said and done to reveal his divinity after his arrest and trial and crucifixion and his resurrection appearances. It's finally Thomas, the doubter, who declares what John told us was coming way back in chapter 1, that Jesus is God in the flesh. God walking among us. But Thomas had to see it to believe it. And this leads Jesus then to pronounce a blessing. Verse 29, on those who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, it's good, Thomas. You've seen, now you believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. This blessing... It's for the first generation of Christians who heard the disciples' eyewitness testimony and believed in the risen Jesus without seeing him for themselves. But it's also for subsequent generations of Christians who have heard and believed without seeing and still declare Jesus to be their Lord and their God. This blessing comes down all the way to you and to me. For we believe without seeing. I love the little story of a little boy who grew up. His dad was a preacher. And growing up, he'd play outside and he'd come in from playing and his mom would say, you go wash those hands because there are germs in that dirt. And one day he protested saying, oh, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear about in this house and I ain't ever seen either one of them. We can identify with Thomas's desire and need to see some proof before he believes. But Jesus also clarifies that he's not going to be appearing to every skeptic who refuses to believe without first seeing. Thomas is the exception here. Because Jesus has a special mission, a special purpose for Thomas and the other disciples. He's going to send them out into the world as his eyewitnesses, telling of his life, death, and resurrection. And then everyone who hears their testimony and believes it, Jesus says, is just as blessed, just as included in God's family, just as blessed as those original disciples who saw and heard it all firsthand. And then from this blessing, then John transitions straight into his purpose for writing the gospel. Because there's a connection between being blessed because you believe without seeing. And John says why he wrote this whole thing in the first place. He says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
but these are written that you may believe or continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote this story down, I wrote this gospel, so that those who would read it would believe and have life. In the original language, though, the verb John uses that gets translated as believe can be translated as either believe, come to believe, as in believing for the first time, come to faith, but it can also be translated as continue to believe, as in don't stop believing, keep on believing, don't give up, believe, believe, believe. And while history has proven the Gospel of John to be a powerful evangelistic document leading many to faith, maybe even leading some of you to faith, the way John tells his story leads me to think that his original purpose for writing down his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was more to encourage beleaguered Christians whose faith in an unseen Jesus was waning He's writing to encourage them to keep on believing. Don't give up your belief. Even if you're being ostracized or opposed, persecuted, don't stop believing. The Gospel of John exists because believing without seeing, faith without sight, is not self-sustaining. Believing without seeing, faith without sight, is not self-sustaining. Faith is like a fire that has to be fed, that has to be stoked. Now, unfed, unstoked faith can give way to doubt and then unbelief. Now, there are many different forms of doubt, and there are many different reasons why doubt could take root in our heart and in our mind, and I include both. Doubt can be both an intellectual and an emotional issue. I myself am a chronic doubter. The last thing I would ever want to do to anyone is belittle their doubts. One of the reasons I like Thomas so much is because he's so open and honest about his doubts. Doesn't hide or shy away from them. He names them and claims them. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And I also appreciate how the other disciples don't eliminate Thomas from their circle because he doubts. He's still there with them a week later, even though he says, I'm not sure, I don't believe you guys. They don't kick him out of their group because he questions what they're saying. They don't get rid of him because he's not as all in with the risen Jesus as they are. He needs more time to process it. Not sure he can buy into it yet. I love the way they continue to make room for him in their circle. As a chronic doubter. I know a thing or two about how doubt works. I also know a thing or two about how to keep doubt at bay. 
And I can tell you from hard-earned experience that focusing on the presence and prevalence of evil in the world is not going to reduce your doubt or enhance your faith. Nor is focusing on the inexplicable suffering of the innocent or focusing on the foibles of the church or obsessing over the hypocrisy of Christians. None of those things are going to reduce your doubts and build up your faith. If you want to doubt, and sometimes we want to doubt because doubt gives us permission to not go all in and be fully committed. And so as long as I have some doubts, I can, I can stiff arm and, and keep a distance between what I sense the gospel is calling me to do. As long as you want to doubt, you can find plenty of reasons to doubt. One thing I've learned about combating doubt that can teeter on the brink of unbelief is that it's always good to return to and focus on Jesus. And I've found over the years that the more I focus on how Jesus responded to the presence of evil in the world, and how Jesus identified with the suffering of the innocent, and how Jesus forgave religious hypocrites, who conspired to kill him with a kind of self-giving, sacrificial, limitless love so powerful that not even death could hold him in the grave. The more I focus on those things, the easier it is to believe. I'll let you in on a little secret. One of the reasons I preach is not because I have so much faith. It's because I have so many doubts. And preaching keeps me tethered to the faith-building, faith-feeding stories about Jesus told in the Gospels. Spending a great deal of my time reading and studying and writing and preaching about Jesus is one of the ways I fight back against the doubts that are always there. And if for whatever reason you find your faith in the risen but unseen Lord fading or failing, I can't emphasize enough the importance of focusing on the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection told in the Gospels and doing it with other people who believe. In other words, the more you doubt, the more you need to read the Gospels, and the more you need to stay connected to a church. There really is a danger in skipping church. And the more you doubt, 
the more you need to keep returning to those places where Jesus tends to show up. Now, we know Jesus, we can't demand that he show up in person to squash our doubts, but there are some places, there are some spaces, there are some instances where Jesus tends to show up and reveal himself. Many times it's when other believers, disciples, are gathered in a space like this to read scripture and pray together and sing together and gather around the table and share communion together. This tends to be one of the ways and one of the places where Jesus makes himself known, especially to those whose faith is fading. So when in doubt, keep returning to the gospel, the true story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And keep returning to the gospel with other believers. Because it's this gospel. It's these eyewitness accounts written down by Jesus' first disciples and then passed down to us. It's this gospel that feeds our faith, that stokes our faith, that encourages our faith so that we can experience and enjoy the blessing Jesus calls forth on those who believe without having to see. Let's stand for the benediction. Let's encourage each other with this reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's read this verse to one another today. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't stop believing. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.